Just as a warning, this episode may have some content that may be deemed inappropriate for younger viewers, so with that, viewer discretion is advised. Hello, spookies, and welcome to another episode of D.O. Holmes Presents. Anybody been feeling kind of weird lately? Maybe because the year seems to have flown by and in some ways better, in some ways not in 2020. The pandemic hit last year, it's been weird. Maybe the excess energy post-Halloween, I don't know. But um, this next story, I want to explore how those things that make us strange can sometimes be those things that make us wonderful to other people. I've known some very strange individuals on this strange journey I've been on called life, and they have been some of the most wonderful creatures that I have had the liberty and luxury to know. And I think that's because I'm a strange creature myself. And I'm sure you all are pretty strange creatures, because otherwise, why would you be here? So, it is a great pleasure I present to you our next story which is actually from volume one of seemingly strange and unusual tales co-authored by tiffany pennywell and myself and again i present to you corpses Albert Malcolm stood over the waste repository in a dark alley that could have been cut from the very fabric of reality. It was thin, and he couldn't imagine any man larger than himself being able to move within its walls. An odd place to put a dumpster, but a perfect place to hide a body. He felt sort of a cartoon headache. Stars were in his eyes. He could swear he heard the sound of chirping birds accompanied by the heavy rainfall that had caused him to tumble into this place after his own messy brown hair had blinded him. He knew this sensation was rapture. Albert had spent his entire adult life chasing this feeling, having been denied any knowledge of maternal love after the untimely death of his father, who was stern and showed affection by placing a roof over their heads. His first date had vomited on him when he tried to kiss her from consuming too much wine, likely to prepare what she thought would be an evening of boredom and despair. He'd grown to live without physical touch. It didn't move him. Whether it was a handshake or a bump from passing strangers, his body felt stone upon impact. His pulse slowed to a dull ache, and his breath left him like a soul left the body upon death. In this way, he felt very much like a corpse himself. Malcolm barely heard the rain anymore. He didn't feel the cold snap against his body as the tiny torrents berated him like gunfire. He just stood there enamored, waiting to enact on dark impulse. Albert likened himself to dead flesh and felt in many ways he belonged amongst it. No forced empathy or morality. A corpse would provide the most tender of kisses. 
No agenda behind the eyes, thrown open like windows in the summer. No old familiar feelings, arching a lover's back that he could be confused by or mull over. It would be something that would be his and only his. A gift he wouldn't have to share. It didn't matter to him that the body was of a man. What mattered to him was the cold, lifeless, leathery-looking flesh upon the body. Albert was close enough to inhale the putrid scents, escaping from the plastic when he heard the noise. A light tapping that was barely distinguishable from the hail of bullets that descended from the heavens. He turned to see an incredibly thin woman with stringy black hair that looked as if she'd been dragged through a sewer. Her eyes were masked, and her large overcoat seemed to be more of an obstruction to her mobility than protection from the elements. He instantly recognized her as Diane, a colleague and maybe the only woman that Albert had borne any real attraction to in some years. She always wore a look of discomfort when they were in groups that he is sure very much matched his own. He overheard once that her parents died in some mysterious accident when she was a teenager, which left her with a nice inheritance at an estate she barely left. People speculated about her here and there, but much like Albert, she often went unnoticed. What was she doing here? He couldn't help but wonder. Before Albert could get an answer, she was on him, her arms around him tight. The touch of her felt undeniable and exquisitely barren. He should have taken note of this. Her words were fast. She told him that he left something behind, and she tried to rush after him, but the rain was so heavy. Albert didn't care. Her touch was a welcome distraction. It nearly made him forget about the corpse. My God, the body, he thought. Oh, wow. No sooner did this thought breach his consciousness had Albert felt a sharp pain at his side. He looked down to see the twisted, toothy smile of Diane's, the likes of which he had never seen before. Her arm held his neck in place, carefully and firmly, like a mother would hold a newborn child. And the knife was kissing his side in the same respect. The sensation he felt in that moment could only be described as orgasmic. And as a slowly rising flood started about their ankles, suddenly he knew everything. The look he'd seen on Diane's face in the office was the same discontent and misanthropy that he himself had felt. He knew in that moment that they were the same creature only she acted out on her impulses, whereas he did not. Inside, they were both dead, both of them monsters. And as they looked at each other then, he could tell that she knew this too. Diane turned her head to the trash can. She had been careless and quick in disposing of the body. But the look in Albert's eyes made what could have been her biggest mistake her greatest blessing. She leaned in him, close to his neck, and whispered daringly low, just barely above the sound of the rain.
do you want to touch it? It was at that moment that Diane and Albert had their very first kiss. You know, I feel like I say this about every questionable couple that I write, but I really hope those two make it. Albert Malcolm is such an interesting guy. Did anybody get hellbound heart sensations when they were reading that? I can't help but think that perhaps that was a bit of an influence. Clive Barker influences a lot of my work. But could you imagine Albert Malcolm finding the Le Machamp configuration? What Cenobites would come to his call? You think Albert would become a Cenobite himself? Anyway, if you haven't read The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker, it's the inspiration for the movie Hellraiser uh, with many striking differences. Um, one being that Pinhead was originally depicted as a female and was not called Pinhead. Um, the relationship between Kirstie and her father. And just a lot, just read it. It's fantastic. The opening scene with Frank Cotton uh, is told completely differently. It takes up an entire chapter and it very much uh, was an inspiration and a, a start for my love of erotic horror. I've always said that Clive Barker writes in a way to where you are turned on by things that you feel like you shouldn't be. And let's talk about that for a moment. You feel like you shouldn't be. Don't know if anybody here is a fan of Lovecraft, but in the mythos, when he speaks of the outer gods, the elder gods, the old ones, and Cthulhu with them, the, the theme tends to a lot of times be madness, but that's usually in reference to what human beings see as reason. He talks about these beings or creatures that exist beyond our own self-imposed morality, because in truth, we create our own rules and laws. Um, they've changed throughout the centuries. I mean, now we associate colors and symbology with sexuality when it was just under 100 years ago that boys wore dresses until they were 13 years old and that was normal and pink was considered a masculine color. You know, why do we impose these laws and these changes upon ourselves? And it's ridiculous because it doesn't serve that much of a purpose outside of some sense of structure, but... I don't know if any of you have looked around recently or looked at the news or checked the apps on your phone, but the world doesn't feel very structured to me. So, you know, he, he touches a lot on that these creatures, these beings, the madness that they inspire is actually a sense of freedom. It's a freedom from the self-imposed morality and the self-imposed senses of structure and forming of thoughts that exist upon us, that the true way of living is through impulse, is through uh, desire. And to a certain extent, that's a basic, in some ways, pagan principle, so long as it harms no one else. You should explore um, joy, sensuality, pleasure, happiness, and that loving another human being is wanting them to experience those things. That's a whole different story. I can go into talking about that for a while. Uh, some people may say that it sounds like polyamory and... I have different thoughts and beliefs on that, which I can touch on briefly because when you think about love in general and think about the end of the story there, when 
when Albert is discovered, when they discover each other at the end, there's this acceptance that's there. They accept that they are different creatures, but both creatures. And there's a certain beauty in that. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that in a relationship, in a friendship, where you just acknowledge that this other person is different and you're also different and we are not different in the same way but there's just a sense of understanding of we're both different i'm not gonna understand you you're not gonna understand me but we understand that we're two creatures and there's a sense of love and there's a beauty in that that doesn't really translate uh into most day-to-day lives and relationships there's this like formality or this sense because when you find an individual and you have any sort of relationship with them, you almost instantly impose your wills, your wants, your fancies on what should and can be. It's like you write a script, right? You have preconceived notions. You have thoughts on where this should go, where this could go, what that means. And it's not about the individual anymore. Now it's your ideas on what friendship is. And if this person is your friend, then they will say these things. They will do these things. They will like these things. They will love these things. They will hate these things. And somehow we get mixed up in that. And now it's like if the person doesn't follow this script, then they're not a friend or they don't love me or they don't like me or I'm unlikable or unlovable and none of that is true or relevant to that individual in a sense we placate falsities on the relationships that we have with individuals because the moment that a relationship forms it's no longer about that person and our perception uh of the world it's about our perception of that person and making them fit our own perception of what we think the world should be which is not so realistic to say uh garbage it's trash if you skate and someone else paints um they don't have to skate with you you don't have to paint with them to love each other, to be together, to to, to formulate that bond. And if their culture is not something you vibe with, you don't need to necessarily vibe with their culture to vibe with them, given mutual vibes. Oh, I hate that I'm saying vibes so much right now, but do you think that if album of Albert never kills, that they'll be okay? Do you think she needs to stop killing for them to be together? It's interesting to think about. Do you think that it's just enough for them to accept that they have a shared love of corpses as in a different way? Her making them him, touching them, admiring them. And that, that, that understanding, that mutual acceptance is love. What is it? Namaste, the spirit in me acknowledges the spirit in you. It's an old, old principle of belief that people plaster on shirts and wear and don't really put into practice we judge we separate we we say some things are okay and some things are not some things are accepted some things are not and they can literally lie on the same street but our perception of ourselves impacts how we view the world and therefore we don't see people as they are 
So with that, do we really love? If we're not looking at what's there. And bringing that back to Lovecraft, Cthulhu and the mythos is considered to be a priest of the old gods. And he is a teacher in the beliefs and practices of living essentially your best life. And he has a, a group of following, um, the children of Cthulhu, who follow him. They're worshippers. They all acknowledge that each one of them is engaging and being the best versions of themselves by being the honest versions of themselves. It's carnal. It's primitive. It's you know. It's it's free. It's freedom. Free from the cages we put on ourselves. Total anarchy of thought, total anarchy of, of feeling. Acknowledgement of that anarchy and the other individuals around us. Acceptance, finding the beauty in it. Even if it's different from the anarchy that we engage in ourselves. So I'm curious. I think my question for the week will be, do you think they stayed together? Do you think Albert Malcolm is dead? Do you think he's in bed waiting for her to come home? You tell me. But... Thank you for tuning in for another episode. Thank you for all of you. Um, I enjoy doing this and I couldn't do this without you. And I hope to see you all next week for another episode of D.L. Holmes Presents. Until then, erotic nightmares.